We have uh, two Bible readings, and uh, you'll see the obvious connection between these passages. Jeff has asked me just to mention before we read them or hear them, to not focus on all the details, all the little things and trying to work out what they mean, but to remember the big picture in these two passages, and particularly how the whole idea is to focus on God on his throne in heaven. So reading first from Ezekiel 1. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the river Kabar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, by the river Kabar in the land of the Babylonians, and there the hand of the Lord was on him. I looked and I saw a violent storm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The centre of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. And under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. And each one went straight ahead. They, they did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upwards, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. And as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. And as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures 
was what looked like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out towards the other, one towards the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the rush of roaring waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. And when they stood still, they lowered their wings. And then there came a voice from above the vault, over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Now we turn to Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, round the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now, if I was back in the D.Y. church as a teenager, I'd say, whoa, that was a long reading. 
not necessary. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, you have to know your Old Testament. Because just about all the imagery in Revelation is taken from the Old Testament. You cannot understand the book of Revelation if you don't know where the images came from. And if you paid attention, you would have noticed that much of the detail in Revelation 4 is taken from the vision of Ezekiel 1. Reason for that being that this was a letter. The book of Revelation is first and foremost a letter to seven churches. A letter that was written to them that they might know that Christ is greater than Caesar. They were under persecution and uh, they needed courage. And uh, what we find then is that it's written in code because John was on the island of Patmos, which was a prison island. That's where Rome sent its worst prisoners or the prisoners that it wanted to contain the most. And therefore, just like prisons today, anything that was written and sent out was vetted. And so what, what John wrote was in code. It would be something the Jews would understand in terms of the, the, the visions, in terms of the, the symbols used, but it wouldn't be understand, understood by the Roman guards. And so to understand Revelation, you have to think like a Jew. You have to remember what took place in the Old Testament. Where is this coming from in the Old Testament? Ah, it comes from here. When we understand what it meant here in the Old Testament, the seven churches could understand what it would mean for them in their time. And so you and I, when we understand what it meant for the, the seven churches, we will understand what we need to take from it for our time today. And it's important because there is this paralyzing experience that we all can, can have. Uh, children know it especially, especially children who are being bullied. In the presence of someone who's uh, stronger than them, someone who's, who's mean towards them, um, they can become so fearful um, of uh, these people. They can become so overwhelmed that they don't want to go to school anymore. Um, they feel so overwhelmed that just the thought of going to school can make some of these children physically sick. I don't know if you uh, recall it, but on May the 12th, um, just this month, uh, we had Do It For Dolly Day. Anyone know what that is? Teenager in Queensland, 14-year-old girl. She committed suicide because of cyberbullying. 3rd of January, 2018. And her parents initiated this Do It For Dolly Day to create awareness in terms of the effects of cyberbullying on teenagers. She took her own life. She was so overwhelmed, this 14-year-old, that she could not think of any other way of, of going ahead but dying. Isn't that tragic? But it's not an isolated story. It's repeated over and over again. But the churches that uh, the, this letter was written to were in a similar situation. When we take a look at uh, the opening of uh, Revelation, it says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see in here, and send it to the seven churches. And then it lists them. To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These churches were in a situation where they could well have felt overwhelmed 
There would have been people in these churches thinking it would have been better to go along with society rather than stand for Christ. And it would have appeared to many of them that the Roman Empire and the Jewish synagogue that was persecuting them looked stronger than Jesus. In fact, some of them were already in prison. Read any of the seven letters that you find in chapters 2 and 3. You'll find some had already been put to death. And not only that, in the seven letters you find that Jesus warns. Jesus is the author of these letters. Jesus is writing to his church and he tells them it's going to get worse. And therefore, this book of Revelation was written to these seven churches in order to prepare them for what would otherwise overwhelm them. And that's why it's good for you and I to read this book and understand this book. Because it wasn't written just for these seven churches. Now we hear on Pentecost Sunday, but remember what I said, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the, the Spirit says to the churches. This, this book has been preserved for us so that when we feel overwhelmed, whether it's because we've just had a diagnosis of cancer, whether it's because we just lost our job, or we think we're about to lose the house because we, we can't any, any longer afford the, the mortgage. No matter what pressure we're under, even if in Australia, as it's beginning to happen, it becomes unpalatable for this nation to accept Christianity. Pressure against Christians is growing also in Australia. Jesus has, has prophesied that as the time for his return gets closer, it will become extremely difficult for anyone anywhere in the world to be a Christian. Jesus doesn't say if, Jesus says when. It's going to happen. Be prepared. And so this book is given not just to the seven churches, but also to us. No matter what the circumstances that threaten to overwhelm us, even the, one that, the type of one that overwhelmed Dolly, we need to look into this book and remember and be filled with courage that the book intends to give us. And so when we uh, take a look at this book, we, we find indeed that it's meant to give us a picture, a picture of the God that we worship, a God who's not just in heaven, but a God also who through the Spirit is with us. Jesus said he will never leave us or forsake us. He would not leave us as orphans in the world, and through the Spirit he hasn't. How important is this in terms of those who stand against us and, and we who need to, to remember who's with us? Well, uh, um, in one of the commentaries I read, Behold, He Cometh, by Herman Hookmer, he said this, In this vision of the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, we have an ideal picture of the kingdom which is to displace in history the kingdom of Satan and sin and which is to have complete victory in the end. You get that? There's the kingdom of Satan and sin, and it's ruling as it were now. The earth is wrecked. Satan is having playing havoc. But there's this kingdom of God that's going to displace it. Jesus is building it even now, and when it's completed, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he will hand it back to the Father. He goes on to say, we may even say that in this vision we have a picture of the battling force which will come against Satan and his host. In that kingdom, God and his throne of righteousness and holiness and majesty and grace shall be the central figure. Uh, if you've got someone threatening you like Dolly did, if you've got someone who's threatening harm to the point that you feel overwhelmed, 
it's good to know you've got a more powerful force behind you. And that's what this vision in chapter 4 is all about. Take a look at the person who's against you. Take a look at what is against you. Take a look at what threatens to overwhelm you. Then look to heaven and see who's with you. See who's with you. That's what this imagery in chapter 4 is all about. Look who's on your side. You know, when Joshua had to take over from Moses, that would have been an overwhelming position to be in. Not only stepping into Moses' shoes, but now he had to lead Israel into the land that 40 years previously, eight of the, uh, uh, 10 of the 12 spies came back and said, we can't take it, they're too great. They're, they're like giants, these people, and they've got huge fortresses. God turned them back because their unfaithfulness. Now, now Joshua was to lead them into that land. Can you imagine how overwhelmed he would have thought or felt? And so in chapter 1, 5 to 7 and verse 9, we read, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? And that's what God says to us today. You're finding it hard to be a Christian? Not only because of opposition to Christianity, but maybe because of life's trials, finding it hard to really believe that God's with you? The Lord says, I've never left you or forsaken you. Be courageous, be strong. I am with you, even if it doesn't appear that way. And so in chapter 4, we find a pause in the book of Revelation. It's important to understand the structure of the book. You get the introduction of Jesus being the Christ greater than Satan in chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3, you get the letters to the seven churches. Chapter 4 and 5 are a pause in the book where we're taken up into heaven to see who is there for us, greater than anyone else or anything else in all the world or universe. Chapter 6 begins with the the letting loose of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Heard of them before? They come from chapter 6. And the breaking of the seals of a scroll, the scroll represents earth's history from the time of John to the return of Jesus. It was going to unleash huge tribulation upon the world. And the church wasn't going to be rescued from that tribulation. The church had to go through the tribulation. Jesus had written to the church to say that what they were experiencing in terms of people dying for the faith in the congregation would indeed get worse. In chapter 6, we find saints under the altar in one of the visions, and they cry out, how long before you avenge our blood? And the answer comes back. Be at peace, give them white robes, and the answer to your question is this. You will not have your blood avenged until the full number of martyrs has died like you. In other words, many more were to die for the faith before the prayer of those martyrs was answered. I will be with you. Take courage. They would need it when the the seals began to be broken. And so when we uh, look at this, we see in Revelation 1.19 the following. Write there for what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. It's repeated again in this way in in chapter 4, verse 1. 
and I will show you what must take place after this. So that's the period in which you and I now live. We might think it's pretty easy at the moment, getting a bit tougher to be a Christian in Australia. But what do you think it's like for Christians in the Middle East? In a Muslim land where you're not allowed to be a Christian, to convert to Christianity is a death sentence. What about China? Places like that. I don't know if you understand it, but in terms of surveys being done throughout the world, the, the um, religious minority that is persecuted the most in the world today is Christians. Christians are the most persecuted religious minority in the world today. And more are dying for the faith than at any other time in history. You don't read of these statistics, news doesn't want to report them. But those are the facts. And it's coming our way sometime or other. The Lord has said it. We need to be prepared. And so that's the period in which we live. And so we get this pause. The church at that time, these seven churches needed to be reminded of something that is so easy to forget. And that's why Revelation was written. For them and for us. It says at the very beginning, verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who take it to heart as to what is written in it, because the time is near. You thought that the book of Revelation was too hard? That's one book you'll put aside? You've done that, if you have done that, to your own detriment. If there's any book a Christian needs to master today, it's the book of Revelation. It's the most important book for us to get our heads across and get our hearts into. It's not meant to be confusing. It's not meant to be hard. It's meant to be enlightening. It's meant to encourage our hearts. It's meant to make our hands strong for the work that God's given us to do. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. If you're not reading it, if you're not taking it to heart, then you're missing out on the intended blessing. So what do we find here? Let me share some of it with you. When we take a look at chapter 4 and we're taken up into heaven, there, there is this change of scene. We're going from earth to heaven. And as I asked uh, Rob to, to tell you, when you look at these chapters, whether it's Ezekiel 1 or Revelation chapter 4, the big picture is about God. It's about God on the throne. Your God, my God. You know, the, one of the, the tragedies of the Christian life is we bring God down to the common level. And that was a problem also in, in the days of the early church. In the book of Hebrews, we find that it was important for them to be reminded of what they had over against what the Old Testament saints had. I'm sure we all remember what happened at Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments. The, the top of the mountain was covered by lightning and thunder in this cloud. God caused um, the, uh, Moses and the leaders to put a, a fence around the bottom of the mountain with the instruction that if anyone touched the mountain, they would die because of the holiness of God. Even if an animal strayed and went past the barrier, it would die because of the holiness of God. 
Well, that's nothing compared to what you and I have here this morning. You know, I've heard Christians say, oh, I would have loved to be back at that time. If I could be a time traveler, I'd love to go back and I'd love to have seen that. Well, it's nothing compared to what you and I have here now. <laughs> you may be wondering, is, is he in his right mind? Is, is that really true? Let me read to you from God's word. It says this in the book of Hebrews 12, 18 to 24. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded that if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Well, we haven't come to that today. You have come, that's us. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Praise God, we don't live in Old Testament times. You and I are given this privilege, we are living in New Testament times. We've not come to Sinai, we've come to Zion. Failure to take in the glory of God on the throne and what we do here in worship of him today not only deprives God of the glory that's his due in our worship, but it also deprives us of the courage that we need. If we understand his glory, his majesty, his power, and it's there also for us, then we deprive ourselves of what we need to be Christians in a secular age. The seven churches needed this peak into heaven. And you and I desperately need this peak into heaven. But there's a word of caution. The caution is, it's all too easy to get lost in the details. That's why I asked Rob to, to give that warning. See if anyone can finish this for me. We have to be careful that we don't lose the forest because of the trees. The trees are all the detail. If you consume yourself with the details, you don't see the forest. And that's the problem most people have when they come to the book of Revelation. They want to understand what every color means. They want to understand what every little detail means. And most of it is unexplained. We're not told a lot of what the details, the symbolism means. And we're not meant to know because what we're supposed to be getting, what God wants us to see is the big picture that he's painting. There's a reformational rule with regard to interpreting the Bible. And that is that the Bible is its own interpreter. We don't seek to interpret the Bible from outside sources. Let the Bible interpret itself. And where it gives no understanding of a particular thing, then we leave that alone. It's not revealed to us. And so when we take a look at this, 
We must understand, say, for example, the, the words of one commentator who had this to say. In all such representations, the meaning of the symbolism is clear. It's an attempt to give God a visible appearance of glory that's suited to his being. A special significance is not to be sought in each particular element or color. And so this morning, we're going to look at the big picture. We're not going to look for an understanding of details which is not given to us. Anyone can make up what this means and what that means, and you find that in the commentaries. You can find any number of explanations of what different things mean, and then you lose the picture. So what is this picture in uh, chapter 4 that we have? Well, like I said, it's all about God and His glory. God in His appearance is spectacular. This is supernatural. He indeed is greater than Satan. He indeed is greater than Caesar. He is greater than the synagogue. That's what the early church needed to hear. And what you and I need to hear today is no matter what comes against us, whether it be a disease, whether it become someone nasty that's bullying us, whether it has something to do in terms of our finances or whether it has to be with persecution by the state, there is nothing that is greater than God on the throne. And so we get this image. There is this central throne that John sees in heaven. And around the throne are 24 other thrones with 24 elders. Some say, oh, 12 are the the Old Testament, you know, relate to the Old Testament tribes, equal Israel, that's the Old Testament. 12 have to do with the New Testament church, the 12 apostles. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that. Just look at the central throne and look at these 24 thrones with 24 elders round about it. And then also, in an inner circle around that, are four living creatures. And fantastic appearance, imagery taken from Ezekiel 1. And then the one on the throne is just radiating this fantastic light. It's interesting when you see the record in Old Testament Scripture, and also in the New in some places, with regard to of God, it always comes about with fantastic light. And you find that here too. And, it, and the throne is encircled by a, a, a rainbow. And Ezekiel describes the same thing. And then from the throne come flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. So there's a lot of noise associated with this view. You see how layer upon layer the picture's being built? One throne. Radiant glory, the appearance of the one on the throne. 24 thrones around about, inside circle, four living creatures. And then peals of thunder and rumblings and lightning. And then before the throne are seven blazing lamps, which we're told are the seven spirits of God. And a sea that looked like clear glass, like crystal. Some of you might remember the song that we used to sing in the book of worship, By the Sea of Crystal, Saints in Glory Stand. Anyone remember that? Yeah comes from this. One of the things I miss in um, Wongan Hills, I haven't been able to find a good version of that to sing with the congregation. But what's the purpose of all this? What, what is the big picture? Well, we're told in Ezekiel 1, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Of the Lord. 
when I saw it, I fell face down and heard the voice of one speak. You know, I started the service this morning with Isaiah 6. And when Isaiah saw this, he said, woe is me, I'm ruined because I've seen the Lord of glory. Well, this is a similar reaction. Ezekiel 2 falls face down. Ralph Alexander in his uh, commentary wrote, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets were confronted with a revelation of his glory that made an indelible imprint of their ministry. Now, why was that so important? Why this, this revelation of God's glory to prophets, who we know usually died? Died not naturally, of course, but died because of the messages they brought from God. It says this, when they became discouraged, they would recall the revelation of God's glory. A, a revelation they had at their commission at the beginning of their prophecy, at the beginning of their ministry, which spurred them on in the Lord's service steadfastly. When these prophets were down, when they were suffering the most, they were reminded of the glory of the Lord. And here we have this vision for us, preserved for us. He who has ears to hear, let, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the Spirit today says, remember the glory of the Lord. This God is with you. This God is for you. He has never left you. He will never leave you. And when this life is over, whenever it is, before Jesus comes back or after Jesus comes back, whatever happens, he's taking you home to be with him forever. What a vision. This is the God that you and I worship this morning. Far better than Sinai. Far better than that mountain with all of those effects going on. We have come to Mount Zion. We have come to the throne of God. But it doesn't finish there. John doesn't just see all this, but he sees worship taking place. It says there, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, 24-7, if there's going to be judged by human time there's no time in heaven but they never stop saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come unceasing worship of god by the four living creatures when i was a teenager in dy i couldn't wait for the service to be finished but not these living creatures on and on eternally they worship and that's not all when the 24 elders see this worship taking place, it says, when, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, they fell down and worshiped. So those elders on those 24 thrones, they fell down before the throne of God and they worshiped whenever they heard the four living creatures give their worship. And they sang a song. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is your God, folks. This is your God. Read this chapter frequently. 
read this chapter for courage, for the strengthening of your faith, for holding on to Jesus regardless of what comes. It says in Joshua 1, 5, 7 to 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That wasn't just for Joshua. The Lord says that to you this morning. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you wherever you go. Let me finish with the words of this hymn. Another one from the book of worship that I miss. O worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His power and His love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. That's a, a real imagery of Revelation 4. And then it goes on, the comparison between us and this God. We children of dust and feeble as frail, in thee, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your great love and passion for us. A love and passion not only shown in the sacrifice of your only Son, as we've remembered today with the Lord's Supper, but also, Lord, knowing the circumstances in which your church would find itself in the end times, the tribulation through which it would need to pass, that you have given us this book, this revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that within it we have this pause in chapters 4 and 5, taking us up into heaven and first of all now seeing you on the throne. We acknowledge, Lord, we confess that often in our sinfulness, our eyes aren't looking into heaven when we are assailed by all sorts of, of trials and difficulties. When we feel indeed, Lord, that we can't go on, we feel overwhelmed, whether it's because of illness or, or problems to do with finances or the loss of a job or or whether it's someone who's bullying us, or whether indeed it's persecution because we're simply Christians. No, Lord, we, we thank you that in spite of all this against us, it remains true that you are God on the throne and all things are in your hands and you are at our side through your Holy Spirit who's, who's sending forth, we remember today. And so forgive us when we forget that. Forgive us when we go weak at the knees. Forgive us, Lord, when we may even fall away at times. We, we pray for those who have fallen away, who used to come to worship you in your church, whether it here or somewhere else. We pray for them that they may remember you on the throne, that they might return to you, Lord, remembering that you are God and whatever it is that calls them to doubt you, that it was not you that was the problem. It was the weakness of our own faith. It was looking to that which overwhelms us that 
blinded us as to this vision of Revelation 4. And so, Lord, we pray that we may hear your command given to Joshua to be strong and courageous and to not be afraid and to remember that you are with us wherever we go. Steal our hands for the work that you have given us to do. Help us to be faithful to that great commission to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Help us to remember that you are with us. Even as a vacant church, nothing's awry, nothing's gone astray. You are with us and you still intend us to do your work. Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Help us to remember that you are God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.